Hello there. Hello. I began this podcast to share. I created this podcast to share healing psychedelic research, education, education, reduce raise awareness. This educational podcast and to reduce harm medical advice. I've all been on a self-healing journey up for from colitis, PTSD, addiction, this podcast. anxiety, One, depression, subscribe. shame, that way you get every episode. big ego, two, you name it. Five star but enough about me already. This has helped They're you. going to and be three, different share types it with of healers. I'm a special guest for today, so let's get started. On different ways of healing. Because each one of us is a healer, even if you're just trying to heal yourself. And there are three ways that you can support this podcast. One, click subscribe. Two, give it a five-star rating if that feels right for you. And three, share it with your tribe. Nothing on this podcast substitutes medical advice. And all claims said on here are up for interpretation. Take what works for you and leave the rest. I have a special guest for you today. So let's jump right in and get started. I have Mark Reddick with us today. I am super excited for him to talk to you. Mark is the Bolton Fit House Program Director and the Youth and Adult Movement and Mobility Specialist. And I'm excited because he's going to talk to you about microdosing psilocybin mushrooms and his experiences with psychedelics to support his mental health and detoxing from mercury. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I was actually just texting you. Are you in... Michigan? Yeah. Cool. In Michigan. Yeah. Uh, so we are, I always tell people Travis City because that's like the biggest place near us. Because <laughs> right, really, right. we're in like, you know, the boonies, but it's 40 minutes right outside of Traverse. So we oh, go into wow. Traverse every weekend. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't know how, I don't know how you're liking it, but like in comparison to, you know, what's going on in the city and all that stuff, it's just like, Sally and I keep thinking about like, all right, we're we're thinking about a house, but like, do we want to get a house here or do we want to just like, and you know, disappear somewhere? Um, yeah, yeah, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. I'm, I'm I'm right on that. I'm right on those vibes with you guys. And then when you're unplugged, it's like you're unplugged. There's so much, um, there's so much peace in that. And you know, what I think about all the time is that um, where I am right now. Sally's in the other room, but underneath me and then to the sides and then to this side, there's somebody there and they're like 15 feet away from me. I can't see them. I can't smell them, but they're there. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, there's science that shows us that our bodies pick up that they're there. So they're broadcasting, you know, and and it might not even be them like just their bodies it could be their cell phones and their wi-fi and their music and their just and their and their vibes you know if you want to go that route and i don't necessarily know what it's like to to be in my own space for a prolonged period of time when i am in my own space for a small period of time a weekend at most it's been i guess you know seven days in the wilderness or whatever it's just it's a different type of person that comes through. So I always wonder if there's like this continued added agitation around our bodies when people are so close. And sometimes we just need to back up a little bit. And not that I don't love people or whatever, but back up a little yeah. bit and let your body, I don't know, resonate, just be with whatever it is and not have all those those like kind of internal stressors inflammations and stuff like that that are going on on, on. and so the the appeal of just 
like sitting in my house and knowing that like I at least got like 150 yards or 200 yards or two miles before the next body. That's cool. <laughs> I know. I know. It's, mm-hmm. it's super wild. The one thing I noticed in the beginning of quarantine, because that's when we came up here and we were up here for almost nine weeks. Um, yeah. For the first time ever, like a prolonged time away up here. Um, anywhere, you know, away from a city. And I could feel after two, three weeks, my nervous system, it like started to just calm down, really calm down. Yeah. That's, that's kind of fascinating. I never really thought about like the nervous system stuff. I mean, I, I, I think about that when I'm in the gym and then, you know, in before you start training, the my protocol is like always like soft tissue prep and like all right let's poke at these muscles and put lacrosse balls where they don't belong so you can kind of feel like all right what's going on with this glute what's going on with that glute da, 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 da. and then the next thing we do is mobility and activation right patterning out movements and, and protocols and then cms so central nervous system uh so like a central nervous system spike so throw things really hard at a wall right and jump just to like jump start your body so I I, I kind of get that concept, but also, you know, when you're not at the gym and you're not getting prepared to do something, like how how on is my nervous system? Like, is it all the time? Like, does that have, you know, how does that, how does that impact my adrenals? And, you know, anyway. Right, right. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, well, fa- fascinating and weird stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yes. psilocybin. Sorry to go down uh, a, a little rabbit hole on you, but um, oh, yeah, no, no, no. psilocybin. I love um, rabbit holes. Yeah, I got all plenty. Rabbit got holes plenty. are interesting and worth yeah. going down. I and believe psilocybin is such a rabbit hole. Like, it's sometime in high school, I didn't really impact me because I was kind of like, oh, I'm not gonna do drugs. You know, I'm not like no drugs. I am going to be, I'm going to be 40. So I grew up in the, uh, in the era of dare and drug free 2000. Right. So yeah. my, I guess now I'm thinking about my first exposure to psychedelics was this suitcase that they brought in in the second grade and they had a puppet that was telling us about all the drugs and they opened up the suitcase and there was this like smorgasbord of like drugs encapsulating <laughs> like almost like one of those things where like you know somebody's like hey you want to buy a watch and you open it up and then there's like all these watches um so that's probably the first time that i that i, that I found out about drugs and, and I, I guess psychedelics because i do remember them saying like these are psychedelics and these are uppers and these are downers and these are things and then all of these don't you know, don't touch them. But it's like, oh, these look like candy. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there's not. I, I wouldn't say it was a, a dramatically uh, memorable, but but you know, and I know there were some people that were like in high school that would do LSD, and um, I didn't really hear too much about mushrooms um, until I was in New Orleans, and um, I do remember my first experience with psychedelics and and, and psilocybin. I think that was, I think it was 2003. I know the date. It was November 23rd. And ever since that day, 1123 is a number that uh, that haunts me. 
Um, and, uh, and it, it, it haunts me in a pleasurable way. More like, oh, there's that number. Get shit together. Or, oh, there's that number. Better chill out kind of thing. So it's not, it's not ever like a positive or negative. It's just like, you know, make sure that you're paying attention to what's going on. And sometimes I'm thinking, you know, maybe I'm just making this up. Uh, uh, or or I'm just looking for the number, but there's genuinely been like some wild situations where it's like, you know, I stop, I stop a song or I stop a this or I stop. And it's like, you see that number. So anyway, um, November 23rd, let's call it 2003, might've been 2004, pretty sure it's 2003. Um, okay. I had been working on this project called Brilliant Ads. And it was a group of friends of mine that I had met at Wild Down in New Orleans, uh, very synchronistically. And um, Brilliant Ads was all about tricking the Google's or Google at the time's algorithm for hit counts and and then selling advertising based on that, this algorithm that we figured out, based on this, this, this kind of like connection uh, platform, selling advertising for a dollar a day. Now, in 2003, this was like big stuff. Like for us, it was like we're gonna be rich and we're gonna we're, you know, we're gonna take over the world and you know da, 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 because we're selling this advertising and then once we do this advertising thing and da, 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 and uh, um um you know we're just ex- excited young 20 year olds mm-hmm. and um, I had gone over to a friend's house. His name was Jason, and it was Jason. Johnny and myself, and we um, had a meeting there. And what we were doing with the Brilliant Ads things, we were inviting people over and pitching, right? So we would find essentially the most successful people we knew, and we were like, hey, we want to tell you about this, you know? So we were dressed up in our suits and looking all whatever, and Mark had a haircut and all that stuff. And so we'd pitch them, and, and, you know, it would go well or it wouldn't. And, you know, we raised like quite a bit of money over the, over the year to get this this idea off the ground and that night johnny had gotten some mushrooms from somebody so we uh, after the pitch after this whole thing we're hanging out in, in jason's house and jason's house was this old kind of mansion on saint charles uh or right off of saint charles so it's just this beautiful like super rustic you know victorian style house typical new orleans stuff and it was in my opinion just haunted haunted fuck <laughs> um there was just weird creepy rooms and all that stuff, stuff. anyway johnny's got the mushrooms we made some orange juliuses do you you have you had an orange julius i think oh, it's yeah. the best way to, <laughs> to indulge in some mushrooms because it's just kind of like you know, they don't taste like uh, candy. And then orange, right? You got a little vitamin C in there. Those help each other out. They, they supposedly work together. Um, you can either confirm or deny that for me. Um, <laughs> and uh, we mixed those up. And I was like, let's do it. So we, we drank these things. And um, the reason why this was so significant for me was because, because of this advertising thing. I'll, let me digress for just a second. So the the pitch for the advertising company was essentially you're never going to get to the top of the the uh, search engine list because by the time you get up there, there's going to be somebody who's paying more money 
to get themselves at the top. And that's just how it went. Like at first it was Google was like, well, how many hits is this guy getting? Da, 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 da. How many hits is this person getting? Whatever. And then we're going to push them up. And then advertising on the internet became a thing, right? And that's growing in popularity. So what we did is we had this network of people and we connected each of their websites to our website and then reconnected our website to their website. So every time we got a hit, they got a hit. Every time anybody on our list got a hit, they got a hit. So again, the pitch was, you're never going to get to the top. So use our platform to boost your numbers, right? And as we grow, you grow. So even though you might only have 10 people that go to your site, Google doesn't know that. They're going to think that you have thousands of people coming to your site, which pushes you up. Now, since 2003, that no longer works. The algorithm is totally different, not the same. But think about how interconnected all of those businesses were, right? And then when I finished that Orange Julius and things started to, you know, bubble, uh, the connectivity of what we were up to was jaw driving, you know, and I think that night was just kind of where I, I like figured out what I want to do with my life because I saw this, well, if I'm connected to this person and this person's connected to this person and this thing is connected to this thing and blah, 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 like there was no stopping where the connections ended there was no end of the railroad with that type of thinking I, I just was able to in one uh in one night see how much number one what we were up to was was kind of like benefiting the greater good and then also how much what i was up to was affecting and impacting people across the world so yeah when uh you know when we were tripping and in this business, you know, interconnected Google mindset, and then also understanding, you know, just coming of age, I suppose it was just like everything was linked and everything was interconnected. And, and what a humbling experience that is, because if you can connect your actions to the seemingly unconnected, your performance in whatever you're up to matters, right? Uh, and I say performance, like, not like, uh, like you're sitting on stage or anything, but like, we're like vessels and like, you know, it doesn't begin or start here. So like my performance in this body, my actions in this body, they actually do matter. There's nothing that just like, doesn't matter, you know? So yeah, that was like, that was my first experience. And I remember the day and I, and I, and that time haunts me all the time. I feel like it was a uh, definitely a spiritual awakening uh, all in that same swipe, that same year. Uh, I had I had read this book called The Field, which was super fascinating. Are you familiar with that book? No. Oh, man. No. I might even have it. Oh, I might have loaded it up. So The Field, The Field was this reporter who had been... Uh, Margaret Iserby? No. Charlotte is No. I think her name was Margaret. Um, the field was this reporter who had gone around the world and was reporting on all sorts of different science things and, and you know, research and stuff. And, and I think they kept coming up to this wall where, hey, we found this really cool research about quantum physics. And then, and then like, we have to stop here because all of the data on the other side here, we can't confirm or deny it and 
experiment after experiment, research study after research study, all sorts of weird stuff like zero, uh, uh, what is it called? Zero point energy and telekinesis and um, mm-hmm. um, just all sorts of things that would be seemingly unconnected. They were actually connected and they labeled this connection within this book, uh, the God particle. And so it's like in between the atoms, in between all the stuff, right? I might be butchering the science, but in between me and you, all the way up next to Traverse City, uh, <laughs> there's, 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 no, there's nothing new. Everything's the same, right? So right now, whoever I am and however my atoms are, right, they're still atoms. They move like this, and then they move like this. There's only, like, two options. There are waves and then, like, dots or something like that. Let's just consider that. And then in between you and me, there's just another bunch of atoms that are doing the waves or dots or whatever. And then you are waves and dots. So there's no, there's no stopping or starting. And this whole research was all about that. Yeah, so I read that book, Laws of Success. That was crazy. Um, sorry, what was your question? The field is by Lynn McTaggart. Oh, there you go. There you go. I was thinking Margaret, but it's McTaggart. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep. And it says that she gives scientific proof of the paranormal, psychic activity, remote viewing, the power of prayer, and homeopathy. She discusses all that. I'm gonna have to watch it. I'm gonna have to read that. Oh yeah, you got you gotta get into it. And and it's probably a lot of I call it at this point like no duh research, but it's like there's the research for all the things that you kind of were thinking already. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I read that and the, the seven spiritual laws of success, which is which was Deepak Chopra. Um, not a super huge fan of Deepak Chopra now, but you know, for 2003, that was like, you know, that was, <laughs> right, that was mind blowing, mind blowing. Um, so, so yeah, that I mean, I can wholeheartedly, 100% confidence say that that first time is uh, is unforgettable and i'm probably jumping over and missing a whole bunch of details because it was 18 years ago but it was like it was a defining moment it's a defining moment and i cannot i cannot not live with that moment all the time like even when i'm talking to people uh there's arguments going on i'm like hey there's a connection here let's slow it down and like you know uh, let's do this. Um, right, right. So yeah, yeah. So it's, it's such a such a, po- a powerful situ- situation. I, I wow. can't express that enough. Uh, I don't know if it's the mushrooms talking, but like, not that I'm doing mushrooms right now, but uh, <laughs> but like, uh, but but like, why wouldn't things be connected? Like, how could uh, like to me? How could they not? You know, right. um, right. and, and that's, uh, I, I don't know if this steps on any of the uh, believers in God versus atheists, but it's just like, how could, how could they, how could there not be something beyond us that is also connecting us to the stuff that's right in front of us? Like even the made up stuff, even your imagination is, there's like something there. And, anyway. Yeah. Have you ever read A Course in Miracles? I have not finished it. Um, it's a big I, book. <laughs> oh, it's a huge book. So what I do <laughs> is I started reading it, and then I have it on uh, on audiobook. Mm. So before I go to bed, 
five times a week ish, I play five minutes of it. Not every day, but like most of the time. And because uh, it's it's just so rich, it's there's so mm-hmm. much in there. I uh, I have a lot of different views. So I can't, I, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not saying that like it is the whole truth or this yeah. is the, this is the one or whatever. Um, but it's definitely dropping some of that interconnectivity knowledge and, uh, and really helps you kind of digest what we, what we already, uh, know. Yeah. I'm looking around cause I had, oh, I think that's in the other room. The, have you ever heard of, oh, here it goes. Uh, the Arantia Papers? Urantia book? No. Oh, Tell me about it. This is super weird. Okay, so part one, it says on the book, the central and super universes. Part two, the local universe. Part three, the history of Urantia. That's us. We're, we're, Earth is Urantia. And the life and teachings of Jesus. Mm. So what they're saying in this very thick book is that we live in an omniverse and there are plenty of I can't even call it low level but there are plenty of 3D, 4D, 5D realms and then there's hierarchy structures in each of those realms all the way up to the tip top source and center and the source and center for even the people entities that are above where we are is still something that is unknowable until you're there. And our journey through the worlds and all this other stuff is a, could be millions of years cycle. In 1928, don't quote me on this, 19, between 1928 and 1933, there was this gentleman who was reportedly kind of an asshole. He was a factory worker in Chicago. And he would go to bed and start mumbling stuff. And his family got very, very concerned. And they started having doctors and stuff come in to see whatever's going on. And he was talking about just wild stuff the mysteries of the universe and the, you know, everything, right? Secrets of life. There was this group of doctors who started becoming very, very interested in uh, this this person. And there was uh, this particular group of doctors were were all about disproving like paranormal activity. Because in that day, you know, you could, you could like get five people in, in a room and like, you know, some dry ice and, you know, shake the table with a string and like all of a sudden you're clairvoyant, right? So there was a lot of, there was a lot of this BS going around. And they started researching this guy and writing the stuff that he was saying down. It made sense. Over time, they called them the sleeping subject. Over time, they developed a relationship with this entity and various entities that was behind the scenes, speaking through him at night. And the story goes is that at some point they were told to leave a room with a safe and don't tell anybody the safe code 
and um, whatever is in the safe, you are to create printing or a printing press around it and disseminate this info. We're not claiming that this is the right info. We're not claiming that you need to follow us as leaders. You don't claiming anything, but somehow wacky somehow this was broadcasted and delivered onto the planet now this book in its in its own like chronological order because we're a developing evolving race there's certain dispensations of leaders whether they be seraphim or angels or whatever we call them think about it like your your local spiritual government uh will come down and they will divulge secrets to the universe uh which are called revelation right the bible was just a piece of the revelation uh the the various spiritual papers before that were pieces of the revelation and then so far this is the newest piece of the revelation and then some people claim that the Course in Miracles is the, or sorry, I shouldn't say so far. Some people say the Course in Miracles is the next part. In each iteration of this giant, massive idea, which is God, Source, and Center, and then us, and all the things in between, we get more and more and more focused. Last thing I'll say about this, when I was working on Brilliant Ads, my buddy Scott and John, we started driving across the country, you know, pitching and trying to meet up with people and make this thing big. We went to friend of a friend of a friend's house who was an ex-CIA. I, I can't say if he was high up there or whatever, retired. And we go into his, this room and he's got a giant library. I'm talking about like thousands of books. Okay. With a little, with a little, uh, the ladder. The wheelie ladder. Yeah. You know yep. <laughs> so we're talking. We're talking about you know because this is this is after eleven twenty three and this is after the mushroom trip. So we're all you know we're we're spiritually enlightened and like <laughs> you know comparing this advertising company to like the secrets of life and like trying to you know and we start talking about aliens and we start talking about you know all sorts of wild stuff and then he gets up on his shelf and he's like, if you want to know what's going on read this book and then we took that book and i you know flipped open the page and just started reading stuff and it just it, the if if this isn't from somebody else or some other entity like off planet or like you know from the stars or whatever we want to call it then the person who came up with this was absolutely mind-blowingly out of control insane like schizophrenic had to be the craziest person to ever leave look because even the language that they use is so intricate it's so full uh much like the course in miracles you know how sometimes you read it and you're like damn like that's just who talks mm -hmm. like that it's just it's just right. too dense you know and I, i'm not complaining it's just like oh you know anyway yeah if you want to if you want to get down on some some wild and wacky stuff it's it's pretty cool this this goes through our universe and similar universes and there's seven different universes and there's all sorts of like the corpse of the the corpse of finality which is all all the the 
entities that are guiding us silently through our lives and then through our next lives. And this, and then there's a Marantia state, which is like what happens after you die. Um, it's, it's just, it's wild. It's wild, but yeah. very, very interesting. Yeah. Really, really interesting. Have you ever heard of Kalindi Leahy? Say that again. Kalindi Leahy. Yeah, not too versed, uh, but mm-hmm. um, I have listened to and spoken with some people who have said that they've had that. I even, I even uh, know somebody who knows somebody. <laughs> Who says, so I guess an acquaintance who says that they were abducted and had their kundalini milked out of them. Not permanently, but like mm. they, they like, they like stimulated this, you know, spiritual chakra entity and they got some sort of liquid to come out of them. I'm just like, I, I don't know if that's true or not, but like, wow. I've heard some wild yeah. shit. Oh, there's wild wow. stuff. Wow. Well, it's funny that you you heard Kundalini, but actually oh. what I was asking you is if you knew a gentleman <laughs> named Kalindi Leahy. Oh, and, no, I don't know. <laughs> That's and, Did you say Kundalini? Oh, no. Kalindi? <laughs> yeah, Kalindi, Kalindi Leahy. Leahy. Oh, Kalindi and, Leahy. All right, I'm going to look it up yes. real quick. He's a Tamirian martial artist and mycologist mm-hmm. and a world traveler. And he talks about how psilocybin is a technology. It's a technology that is used to jump yeah. into hyperspace and to explore multiple dimensions that are out there. Yeah. And, and yeah. he says that um, there is a tribe called the, the Bwiti tribe. And they yeah. make all adults do psilocybin. They 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 make them all do twenty grams. So so think about that, right? Like, I, uh, I, think I about five that. grams a hero's journey, and I've never uh-huh. done five grams. And like I might have done three at some uh-huh. point. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and twenty grams is like yeah, that's definitely a hyperspace portal for sure. Yeah. And, and he says that we've been doing we've been doing it wrong. And he says that he uh, has learned that we are supposed to do twenty grams to download ancient knowledge and ancient uh, telepathic psychic abilities that yeah. we are supposed to inherently possess. Now, I have no idea. I've never done twenty grams, nor have I ever done five That's grams. So yeah. Man, you might get the superpowers. Uh, that's in that. I don't that's know. I uh, I bookmarked that uh, that that gentleman. I'm gonna have to definitely check that out. Uh, yeah, but the Urantia wow. book. I'm yeah. really interested in reading that. Yeah, it, you should definitely check it out. Like I used to only just flip it open and then go to just go to a page and start reading. And then I got motivated and then I started just reading it page by page. And then, so this is how far I got. Now, the interesting thing about this is that they, there's, there's quite a bit of boring stuff in here because it, it's, they're actually talking about how the mountains formed and the, 
the plates and the, the how things moved around and volcanic activity and the different the, like they're talking about like science and it's like the pressure in this field went this way and then so we gathered our there's basically spirits and or entities that are in are accountable for the way gravity works or the way that chemistry works right so they have to be in a certain place and resonate at a certain degree to hold that and then the planets that surround the universe are all tuned such that this environment right here can maintain if this and if, if the planets were to switch or move around this environment what we're capable of right here would drastically change so it's kind of like uh oh where am i going to put this sun lamp in my turtle cage or you know, put this rock over here, da da da, to elicit a, a, a whatever. Uh, anyway, I could talk about that all all day. It's, it's wild stuff, but <laughs> it um, is wild. It is. I was just watching it. Uh huh. I, I haven't talked about it in a while, so it's uh, it's kind of interesting that it came up. But that was definitely like 2003 to 2012 mark, just like page by page, page by page, just trying to figure it out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so you 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 met this ex CIA person. You got Correct. introduced to your Antia book, and then yeah. what? Uh, um, you know, and then um, life was lifing. Uh, our um, our company was essentially hijacked by a gentleman who was suffering from depression. Our our programmer uh, was uh, we found out he was bipolar. And he um, actually, we didn't find out until he was bipolar. He was bipolar until much later. And unfortunately, he was going through all sorts of very, 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 very traumatic things at home. He was getting a divorce and needed money. And then, uh, as far as I remember, the story goes is that he wanted to get more money for the program, so he held our algorithm and our uh, program hostage for about 40 grand. And then we paid him. And then about three or four months later, he did the same thing and he wanted 80 grand. And then we found out that he built back doors into everything. So he started to mess with how it was working with uh, our other networks and stuff like that with all the people on the network, I really should say. And then 2005, summer of 2005 as we were kind of shutting this whole thing down and trying to figure out how to reboot that's when hurricane katrina happened and when hurricane katrina happened you know that was kind of the the end of that now i to this day still talk to some of these people and uh my best friend johnny uh we still have have some some form of nonprofit that still is based in some of these ideas but it almost took me like five years to like get to, get to what we're doing now. But anyway, you know, so we shut everything down and then and then I rebooted my whole entire life and came back to Chicago. Uh, I never saw myself in Chicago and, you know, not to fast forward too far, but, you know, here I am now, you know, just kind of recreated and and used all the the lessons and all the things that that I had uh, that I had learned in I guess two thousand three four and five and and really like I think about it like just that that period of growth there really catalyzed all of the things that I'm doing now 
I can't say that it was intentional that I got to where I am now. And I'm not in no means do I feel like I'm, you know, some sort of wild success or anything, but spiritually thinking about it. It's like, man, that was a, that was a giant, it's a giant growth area right there. Man. Imagine if I had done 20 grams of mushrooms. <laughs> yeah I, I i don't know i don't know Glendy lee he i mean he he swore by it he uh he traveled the world and uh had people do that and uh yeah. you're familiar with paul stamets right oh yeah Love paul. yeah so i'm sure we we've talked we've probably talked about paul but uh i remember this uh, paul stamets he's an excellent storyteller I remember Paul Stamets telling uh, this story about a researcher. Uh, I don't know if he was specifically into mushrooms, but one of his mentors um, in microbiology and stuff like that was getting old. He was like 80 something years old. And there was a spe- specific type of mushroom that Paul Stamets had. And this mentor of his had gotten a hold of, he just gotten a little bit of it and he eats it. And oh, uh, rewind a little bit. He had lost some hearing in his ear, um, so he was partially deaf. He eats it, and he's laying on the the back of his patio. And I think he said he'd done like five grams or something like that. And he starts to hear this clicking, like, and he's like, "What is that clicking?" And he's looking around, and he realizes, "Oh my God! Number one, I can hear, and number two, the ants are crawling across the patio, and I'm I'm listening to the ants crawl across the patio." And so he wow. calls Paul up and he's like, yo, man, I need some more of these. And Paul being the, <laughs> Paul being the uh, integrity driven guy that he is, it's like, you know, I have you know government contracts. Blah, blah, blah. I cannot give you these mushrooms. Blah, blah, blah. Um, but uh, but yeah, the, the, the wild world of, of, of mushrooms and how fitting that the way that mycelia, saying that right? work mm-hmm. is like they spread out and connect and communicate to other things underground and what makes the mushroom world so interesting is that they're actually learning how to adapt by spreading those roots right which is their nervous yeah. system or it's just like, right, exactly. like this uh you know a similar situation in our nervous system is spreading out and they're making those connections you know and then when we do mushrooms we're not necessarily, they're, they're, I don't know if they're growing roots in our brain or whatever, but like they're, they, we're connecting things that are seemingly unconnected, you know, hyperspace portal. Right. <laughs> right. I, I love mycelium. <laughs> and I think, well, that makes sense. Is, I, no, it does make sense. It, it makes sense to people who have done psychedelics. It makes yeah. sense to people who understand mycelium and the way that they, Um, communicate and the way they spread. It makes sense to people who may have watched Fantastic Fungi by Paul Stamets and Louis Schwartzberg. Great movie. Great movie. Yes. So cool. Exactly. I mean, all the mycologists out there, they understand what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, They're resonating. You know, they absolutely are. (laughs) Yeah. And so from, from that spiritual expansion that you experienced before coming to Chicago did you have any other psychedelic experiences you know I let me think I definitely lost 
I lost my, let's say I lost my connect for a long time. I, Cause I just remember, I remember maybe one like pitchfork and like 2008 or something. Uh, so I was like, Oh, I got some mushrooms and it's been quite a long time. I was like, uh, yeah, definitely take some mushrooms. Um, uh, but I hadn't, I hadn't had them in a long time. And then I, I started, I think that was my first occasion where I started to kind of microdose myself. And I, um, you know, might have done a gram. And that's actually, that's not a microdose in my opinion. But, you know, I didn't do, I didn't do what I had done before. But I would, uh, you know, if I had gotten some, I would, I would definitely partake. And it was one point where, you know, the interesting thing about mushrooms, there's a point where like you you have the mushrooms and then sometimes if you have a big enough trip you're like okay I don't want to it's not even like you don't want to do that anymore you're just like I'm good for a while right it's yeah. not like I want to push them away it's just like I am comfortable I'm so comfortable with myself right now that it's like let's just let's just hold on to this so I think at some point I just had like some mushrooms hanging out in my refrigerator for a long time. And then I, I you know, you never, I never called up the, you know, the, my purveyor, my connection and uh, plug. And, and I just kind of lost contact with that group of people who, who had those things available for a long mm-hmm. time. And I think only the last three or four years was I reintroduced into the idea of mushrooms and and even you know microdosing and then doing it on a, a therapeutic level and then so recently maybe i would say i would say about four four years i have been actively seeking out psilocybin specifically for microdosing when i could yeah and then so right now right now um, I am at the point where I'm dosing myself occasionally throughout the month. And that's mainly because of uh, the mercury poisoning, which we had talked about yeah. a, a while back. Yeah, I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but uh, yeah, the mercury poisoning, I think I think I'd actually been introduced to Paul Stamets. Uh, let's just call it like 2017, 2018 and listen to that. And I was like, wow, this is wild. This is crazy. I should probably do something like this. I was feeling very off, uh, lethargic sometimes, uh, mild depression, forgetful. Sometimes I had word search where I'm like, what's that word? Oh yeah. No, you know, it's just like, like silly stuff. And I was like, what's going on with me? Um, I also started getting sick and having the flu and you know, I guess based on what I eat and my body type and stuff like that, I was like, well, I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to be doing. And eventually discovered tons of testing that I had mercury poisoning. And then, and then I put it together like, oh yeah, I remember that Paul Stamets guy was talking about this. And I started doing my own research on psilocybin. And then the the key or the major reason why I, I partake right now is there is proof. There is strong research out there that you can regrow neural pathways and neural genesis actually is happening and so how effing fascinating is that you know brain damage or strokes or hearing loss or whatever applying these you know these things uh uh can uh can potentially help so i think let's call it 2018 i started grinding things up 
and uh and then taking like teaspoons and putting them into my shakes and trying to measure it out and stuff like that at this time i have a fairly elaborate process i'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty proud of it i've got a little pill maker so i make my own pills and then i measure out each dose and then that way i can kind of track like okay i had this much this day this much this day i'm curious uh, about um when you say dosing what type of dosages are you creating in your pills? So right now I have pills that are 0.75 grams. I use the zero zero capsule. Mm -hmm. So I fill that pill, like I fill it, I pack it in there. And what I've, uh, what I've measured out and I did the best that I could, I have a fairly nice scale. So Every four to five days a week, I usually do a month on and then just chill. And whenever I'm feeling feeling the, the mood, uh, I'll go back on. When you microdose, how do you yeah. feel? Like, describe that. Uh, it's great. Um, so the feeling, well, number one, there's many types of mushrooms and many types of psilocybin. I am most familiar with golden teachers and Hawaiians. I've heard of golden Hawaiians and all sorts of things, but I, I can't necessarily say which one I got, but they were called Hawaiians. The golden teachers are by far my favorite. Uh, the Hawaiians are definitely a little bit, a little bit more uh, gritty. So, and I say that like there's more of a body heaviness that happens for me personally. The Golden Teachers is is kind of like a, I feel like a, a little bit lighter, happy, and almost really like just well rested. Uh, mm. When I feel like I'm in my great position, or when I feel the best, I'm like two or three days into it, so it's not it doesn't hit very hard. It's just like a mild um, joy, you know. Have if you've ever laughed like so hard that you you know you you're like you know blowing snot bubbles on yourself or whatever and then right <laughs> after that you kind of calm down and you go that was great what a good laugh like that's what it's like it's not like i'm laughing hysterically it's just like ah, that felt great um and then specifically for me um you know i've been working with this mercury detoxing mercury over time I'm winning the battle, so this is good. I've, I've cut my mercury levels in half uh, in the last six, eight, eight months, which is great. Awesome. Um, still a ways to go, in, in my personal opinion, because I want to be at zero. But for me, I have a really difficult time being sharp and crisp, being well-rested even, uh, even when I am well-rested. It almost feels like I have a, a hangover. I'll wake up and I might have slept eight hours, but it's just like, man, feeling kind of foggy, got the spider webs, it's kind of sluggish. Um, I'm in front of people uh, starting at, you know, sometimes 5 a.m. And it's really tough to be me and to feel comfortable in my own skin sometimes when I am searching for words and searching for things that I want to say. But the best way I can describe it is like I have like a ocean of things that I'd like to say. And I really love just sharing thoughts. And, you know, I love my job and I love talking to people and training them and stuff like that. 
So when I can't, when I can't express myself efficiently and effectively, especially when I'm bringing people through specific routines and then having conversations, you know, being a trainer and running a gym is almost like a barbershop. You know, you're like, you're, you're shooting the shit, but you're also, you know, also on your game because you don't want to mess up somebody's hair, right? I don't want to mess up somebody's body, right? So yeah, you just feel foggy. You feel this, that word search is like, uh, I got an ocean going on and I got like a tiny little spigot of water just dripping out. And um, when I'm on my micro dosing game and uh, I'm feeling, like I said, just after a great laugh, uh, I feel like myself. As cliche as that sounds, I just feel like myself. You know, um, there's there's no um, there's no like, oh, what am I going to say next? It's just like, blah, 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 blah. Oh, that makes sense. You know, um, <laughs> yeah. And um, the other thing I, I think I noticed uh, suddenly also is I do have quite a few allergies. Uh, nothing that's like super hay fever where I break out in hives all over. But like one nostril is always a little funky. If I swallow, I can hear my ears pop a little bit. You know, there's like mucus going on. And then, you know, if I eat certain foods, I feel, you know, certain types of ways. Uh, and then when I take my microdoses, both nostrils going 100%, ears, no popping. It's almost as if my hearing is dialed in a little bit more. Um, I kind of relate it to like like Spider-Man, you know, like getting bit by that spider and you just got like, it's like a spidey sense. You know, you can't really describe it, but you're just, just awake and on, well-rested. Yeah. Good cup of coffee and you didn't have a good cup of coffee, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And can you please uh, share with everyone, share with us, what do you do? Talk to us about how you connect the body and the brain and, and, and all that. Sure. Advertising company, right? We did all that stuff. That happened. I came back to Chicago and I started working with a doctor who was a, is a pediatrician and a psychiatrist. He worked uh, with kids, obviously. And Together, we opened up a learning center. It was originally it was his idea, but he needed like somebody who was you know, a little bit experienced and, and, you know, just kind of management, a little bit of business and stuff like that, but also somebody who he could trust and was like, you know, had some sort of personality because we worked with kids. So, um, uh, oh, and at that time, I started going back to school, uh, going to school for economics and while I was learning the ropes of running a uh, psychiatrist office, uh, a pediatrician office, and combining the two and doing mentorship with kids via tutoring after school and stuff like that, I was exposed to a lot of uh, learning in the brain science. Uh, I've been to, I don't know how many conferences, I, I got sent to all these conferences to kind of find out the latest and greatest of what's going on with you know, learning in the brain, and then also what are doctors doing to advocate for children in school? One of the main um, uh, goals that we had is to advocate for these these children because, you know, a lot of our, our clients had ADD, ADHD, autism, you know, spectrum, um, all sorts of stuff, sensory perception disorders, and it was our job to number one nurture nurture them, fund you know reeducate them on the fundamentals so they can start to catch up with whatever was going on in school, and then also go into the school and say, hey, teacher, principal, social worker, 
this is not what you think it is. This child thinks differently, is brilliant, and needs a little bit of assistance. So can we move this program here, move this program there? Da, da, da. Anyway, um, so I did that for about seven years. We had two uh, uh, locations, uh, one in Oak Park, one in Chicago. Uh, eventually, I left those to get back into the nonprofit sector and, and basically kind of work for myself. Uh, and work on some of these projects that were kind of left over from uh, from New Orleans. Um, I started going to this gym called the Fulton Fit House. And I want to say that was uh, 2008, 2009. And uh, the head trainer and owner, uh, Mike Donis, who is a brilliant, brilliant person, um, uh, you know, over the years kept asking me, he's like, I, I want you to train with me. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, uh, you, like I already come to the gym. He's like, no, I want you to like train at the gym. I think you would make an amazing trainer. Like, I want you to do this. And I was like, eh, nah, I don't want to do that. Years go by and I, I can't necessarily remember how it happened, but he asked me again and I was just like, you know what? Let's do it. You know, let's do it. I was, uh, I was, I wouldn't say in between, maybe in between jobs, but kind of just like in between like, do I really want to keep doing this or do I want to do something else? Like what's going to, what's going to be my path. And then, so I, I was like, let's do it. Uh, with one caveat, I was like, I need to be able to create a class for children that is going to focus on a lot of the things that we used to work on at the learning centers, um, which is, you know, the fundamentals of how your brain works, what we can do to optimize it. And I'll also train adults, but I got to be able to do this, this children's program. So he's like, cool. And then uh, since then, uh, I've been working at the Fulton Fit House in Chicago, West Loop, five or so years. And uh, we have a kids program. Uh, I call it movement literacy. So just like, you know, you are taught the ABCs such that you can read, therefore making you literate. I am teaching the fundamentals of movement such that you can navigate through your life unencumbered and fully expressed physically. Now, I took all that stuff that I had in the pre-fit house, economics, which is the study of exchange, I guess you could say, uh, the study of you know statistics, what makes a difference over time kind of thing. I took that. And then I took all this knowledge that I now have about the body and uh, not that I came up with this, but what we now know is that movement stimulates cognition. So with all that said, what I do at the Fit House is I make sure people move in a way that's going to stimulate their body uh, for a lifetime. Not really about losing weight. That could be a thing if you follow the protocol. Not really about, you know, getting giant jacked muscles that will happen if you, you know, follow the protocol. But really, what is a way that we can move our bodies in appropriate ways, creative ways, such that we're honoring our brains and then we're honoring our bodies with some sort of fitness routine, you know? So, yeah, yeah, that's what I do. So, uh, uh, a nerd trainer. Nerd trainer. <laughs> so, oh, I love I it though. People do, I make people do burpees and they get smarter. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love it. I love that we um, now know movement stimulates cognition. Oh my gosh, it's it's so 
it's so incredible because, well, <clears throat> I, I kind of came up, I can't take all the credit. In Naperville, down the street, there was a coach, a gym teacher, who was noticing uh, that certain kids just, they just couldn't get it together, for lack of a better term. And so he helped them get uh, get some sports in their lives and stuff like that. And over his vast career, I think he worked there for like 30 years, anytime there was a child that was like, you know, really suffering, he was like, you know what? Come to the gym, do like 20 minutes of, you know, something, you know, whether it be, you know, here's a spin bike or maybe some boxing or something like that. Just go ahead and, you know, do do something. Just let some energy out. And lo and behold, over time, statistically speaking, there's an increase in uh, in attention span. There's a decrease in behavioral issues. There's an increase in memory retention. So he teamed up with a few uh, scientists and created this program called LRPE, which is Learning Readiness of Physical Education. And instead of teaching, this is mind-blowing to me, instead of teaching sports, he taught fitness, okay? Number one, sports, nothing wrong with sports, but for a child who's growing, sports can create uh, tremendous amounts of asymmetry. Uh, so, for example, baseball, right hand, right hand, right hand, right hand, always throwing with the right, right? Um, that's generally natural that you're going to choose one hand over the other, but then you have batting always doing leaning, rotational sports, rotational sports, rotational sports. And then over time, kids' bodies and adults' bodies, they adapt to that, right? A body is an amazing piece of machinery in that it will adapt to whatever you give it. But it's also a terrible piece of machinery because it will adapt to whatever you give it. So if you, right. only, give it, if you only give it Grand Theft Auto, sitting down for 75% of your day, Okay, as a, as a child, and then baseball, baseball, baseball. It's like it's a recipe for disaster. In the last twenty years, there's been a seventy five percent increase in ACL tears, especially in girls. I think it's actually higher in girls. We'll have to back back that research up. But um, ACL tears from kids simply not understanding how to accelerate, decelerate, and pivot. They're not trained for that, right? So anyway, let's rewind a little bit. What this guy started doing is training, or not even training, giving kids 20, 30 minutes to do what you want. Walk around the track. Here's some bikes. Here's some um, some boxing gloves. Here's some, you know, just all sorts of stuff, but not like, uh, here's here's a basketball. And then what they found is that the kids who were active for a period of time, they started giving them like uh, fitness watches and stuff like that and heart band or uh, heart rate monitors. The kids who had elevated heart rates and were working over a period of time uh, versus the kids who were just playing sports, they were actually uh, putting out more energy, burning more calories, moving around a lot more because the kids that were playing the sports what essentially happened, and this happened to me when I was in grade school, is there's two people playing basketball, and there might be 12 people on the court, right? Because the kids that are good at basketball, they love it. And everybody else is sitting around, and they're like, 
pass me the rock, you know? And for me, <laughs> somebody like me, I was like, don't pass this to me. I'm cool. <laughs> so those other kids are not doing anything. They're not doing anything at all while these other kids are breaking up a sweat. So the guy was like, let's just get everybody to move. Bottom line is once the heart rate was up about, uh, uh, for, for about 20 minutes, right? Above 135 uh, beats per minute for boys over 125 for girls, uh, rough estimates. Um, they were getting tremendous amount of brain activity going on. Uh, number one, just in kind of like the clinical situation. And then number two, they started raising their, um, there's this test called like the TMM test or I don't know, don't, don't, don't follow me on that. But there's a test that, that, uh, that they do in, uh, grade schools, high schools, that's kind of international, uh, situation. So they can, you know, well, kids in Norway do this and da, 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 da. The U.S. is always one of the lowest in the first world countries. And then here comes this high school and, and junior high in Naperville that's like on some of the top ranking situations. So immediately they were like, well, it's because it's a rich school and it's a wealthy, wealthy situation. And they were like, well, let's start to apply the same idea to places that, that uh, don't have as much money. And they found the same thing. So. With all that said, there's this revolution going on in physical education, stifled by your friend coronavirus. I mean, not your friend, but, you know, our, our <laughs> new friend coronavirus. Uh, but there's a revolution that's going on, which is, hey, physical education is actually one of the most important things that we have in the school. Uh, one of the important, most important tools that we have in the school. And then uh, uh, number number two, it's not just sports education you look if you're if you're gonna play basketball if you want to play basketball most of these kids in the suburbs and even in the city you can find a basketball hoop you can make a basketball hoop you're gonna play basketball but in the school setting um it's it's just been amazing it's been amazing they even went so far as to um stack uh their lrpe their learning readiness pe uh, in front of difficult or challenging classes, hmm. and they're getting results, which is just, which is just brilliant, you know. Um, oh yeah. How do we how do we start talking about? Oh yeah, movement, stimulus, <laughs> movement. Yes, oh, yes. Now here's something that's really interesting. That is kind of this is like the fringe research, but it's it's there. Um, it's uh, the, the reference points uh, in my head people are interested uh greg rose who's actually uh a youth golf coach but um he's the type of youth golf coach that creates amazing golfers without golfing what we've figured out is that there's movement patterns that children have not learned and then we give them a golf club a bat a ball or whatever and they can manipulate that but what makes a really good athlete is somebody that's well-rounded well what creates well-rounded athletes well we have to create this foundation of fitness now within this research that he's done and he's reported on what they started to find out is that if you don't move your body in certain patterns uh, basic you know kind of archetype patterns uh and just for example you know you got a deep squat pattern you have a a lunge pattern you have a hurdle step pattern which is like you, know, you stand up and lift your leg and then step over something you have trunk stability rotational stability 
Uh, what else do you have? Shoulder stability. If you don't move your body in these archetypes, your brain never gets to fire in that specific way. And then there's a piece of your brain that essentially doesn't get turned on. Um, with children, adolescents, uh, there's a window of opportunity to learn these archetypes. And so I guess, you know, follow me with this. So the movement stimulates a piece of your brain. The, the window is only open for a period of time. When the window closes, it doesn't mean that you can't learn it, but it's just not going to be the first book in your library that you pull off the shelf when you need it. So when situations get stressful, whether they be on the court or, you know, cars coming or whatever, if those patterns have not been connected, there's the deer in headlights. There's the klutzy kid. There's, um, you know, tripping over your own feet. Well, I guess that's the klutzy kid. But there's, there's, there's all these things that happen that, you know, could be kind of dangerous because the children just didn't get that pattern, right? Now, here's the, I guess here's the icing on the cake. Your whole brain is connected, right? You're all of our neural pathways are just all through the brain, right? Now, if you have this one piece of your brain that you've never used and that because it's rotational stability, or it's a squat, or it's a, 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 a rope, you know, a hurdle step or, or a bear call or whatever it is, right? The first level of problem solving that all human beings go through is a movement problem. How do I get from point A to point B? How do I navigate around uh, this thing, this person? How do I put my foot in my mouth, right? These are basic things that we go through, and those are problem-solving skills, right? So by moving through these patterns, these archetypes, you're actually laying the groundwork in the library for the basis of problem-solving for the rest of your life, right? Wow. I hope that made sense. It does. So, it does. so like, if you don't hit those patterns, it's not that you're going to be a bonehead or anything, but you're just not optimized. You're not optimized. You know? And and yeah, can we afford that right now? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, now, can you can you uh, learn? Because obviously, we know neurogenesis, neuroplasticity. We know yeah. the brain can learn. So, talk to me about you know, as an adult. Is it, is it something that they can reprogram? Is there something that they can ignite? Because I just read some research how chewing also yeah. stimulates cognition and different parts yeah. of the brain and, and how so many kids aren't taught how to ch thoroughly chew their food before swallowing, which also yeah. is a brain problem. Right. So I'm just right. curious, you know, your thoughts so on that. You have this window of opportunity. You have a tremendous amount of gray matter. And as you're, you have mimic neurons, chemicals, which are far beyond my pay grade, uh, that are in your head that are ready to pick up new things. And by the time you're 10, you will never have that much raw power to take on, assimilate, mimic, and create those patterns, whatever they might be. Language, 
uh, movement, all that good stuff. Now, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that you can't ever learn a new language or you can't ever, you know, do a deep squat or you know have this other stuff. The way that it was described to me is like a library book. There are a set of books that are going to be on your shelf and they are there. They are never going anywhere, right? Like people say, well, like riding a bike, right? They're never going anywhere. Now, you can get new books and you can stack those new books up. But if you're not continuously practicing those books, those books will start to disappear, right? And, and as they disappear, your ability to bring them back, it won't be as strong as, as those original books. Doesn't mean it can't happen, right? Because we have this, you know, we have new technology saying neurogenesis, da, 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 da. it's just different. So now let's kind of relate this to what, what I do. So uh, for example, I have a client, I have many clients like this actually. Uh, knee problems, low back problems, and they have, you know, kyphosis, which is kind of like the turtle shell, right? And they uh, come in, they're in pain, and they've gone to a PT, and they're like, the PT didn't help. And then I ask them, okay, what did the PT tell you to do? Uh, all right, the PT told me to do this exercise, this exercise, this exercise. So, okay, uh, how many times a week do you do that exercise? Well, I do it like once or twice a week. I'm like, okay. So number one, you got to do that exercise over and over and over again. You probably need to do that exercise because it's like a corrective. It's not like lifting heavy weights. You probably got to do that exercise like five times a week, right? Oh, I don't, you know, I get lazy. I don't really do it. Okay, cool. And then the second thing I don't really say to them, or sometimes I say it, but I just look at what they're doing. So the typical person that is coming in with the kyphosis, with the issue, right? The back, the knees, or whatever. When they look at their phone, their head is cocked down forward, stressing out their, their the top of their back, right? The, the uh, thoracic spine. Um, they've got zero glute activity because they're just what we call in the industry, hanging on the meat. Like they're, they're not, they're not using their muscles. They're just kind of like leaning on their bones, you know, and just like the tissue, they're just hanging there. And, and then there's no stability in the feet. I wish I could kind of describe it. I know people aren't going to be able to see this, but it's like if you were standing straight and tall and you pointed your toes forward and you twisted your feet into the ground to grab the ground, your hips and your butt like actually just start to turn on, right? You squeeze your gut a little bit and now you're activating. You got a neutral spine. It's almost hard to stand like that. And also have your head hanging down in front of you. It actually invigorates and, and almost creates torque throughout the whole body. So anyway, you have this client and you start to look at them. And I can immediately tell them, look, I need to see you five days a week. Oh, why do I need to see you five days? Because you're complaining about this. And you only get to go to your PT maybe six times uh, for this prognosis maybe it's 12 times maybe you got an accident you get 24 times got the bed you know whatever but the bottom line is you don't create that movement as a movement practice for life you can see me five days a week if you see me five days a week for two years you won't have those problems 
And if I take away all your problems, you're going to be with me for the rest of your life. Uh, I'm being assertive when I say something like, I might not talk to all the clients like that, but basically what I'm saying is with enough practice, with a lifestyle change, yes, you can create this in your life. But if it's not a lifestyle change, it's like, you know, um, all the new research out there is really cool. But I guess having a, a little bit of a statistics background and, and you know, some alacrity in, in navigating these studies and stuff like that, um, you always got to look at the, the parameters of the study. Like, I, I read stuff all the time where it's like, oh, that's great. We found this. But, all right, well, how long did you do that? Well, we did it for three months. The beauty of actually being in a gym and working with the same people for five years is that's like, this is like my lab. I can actually, like, I have data over time. And, you know, I plug this variable in or I do this or I pull this out and I get to see this over time. So long story short, uh, well, that was a long story anyway, but <laughs> it can happen. You just have to have that lifestyle change. You have to have some accountability. You know, uh, you have to hold yourself accountable. You have to create a team of accountability, a coach for accountability, d- depending on your your what, what you're up to. I mean, this could easily apply yeah. to businesses. This could apply to, you know, fitness in my industry. This could apply to, um, um, you know, learning in the brain, uh, language, all that other stuff. You know, um, it, it's just yeah. simply how much of a practice are you willing to 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 make out of it? Right. Right. And how do you, I guess, with all everything that you just said, is there any way to integrate psilocybin and microdosing and neurogenesis and neuroplasticity in what you're talking about? Yeah, I don't see I don't see why not. I mean, I do it with myself, you know, I do it with myself. I um, so uh, I, I haven't tried this on any of my clients. But um, I would imagine that if we were, um, and you know, uh, coach me on if this is what you were talking about, if we were trying to elicit a certain response, uh, say, you know, creating creating a neutral spine, uh, pulling the shoulder blades back, a supported spine, a good breathing dynamics, um, if we were to sprinkle some you know psilocybin or do a a uh, a study where we did that two to three times a day i i would i would think or that i said two three times a day two three times a week i would assume that there'd be some uh there would be greater results because well number one i know that it works if i do it alone and i'm barking orders at people uh but number two we know that there's uh neurogenesis going on with the the uh, intake of, of psilocybin so i don't see i don't see why not everything that i've ever read everything that i've ever heard all the mentors all the people have said you know with practice oh here's another thing let's talk about this so Learning in the brain, your amygdala and your hippocampus. Mm-hmm. Your amygdala is basically responsible for fight or flight. The hippocampus is long-term memory storage, yeah. right? If there is 
inflammation, if there's irritation, if there's a reason why your body is in fight or flight mode, you can't learn. You like literally can't learn. Right. Right. So when people are in our gym and I've had them for a long period of time, when they come in, we always do soft tissue prep that relaxes them. It essentially sets the pace, increases the blood flow, sets the, 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 the tone to relax. them. so whatever they're saying, they're trusting me and I'm putting them through this situation. So imagine if you were to, this is all hypothetical, if you were to be able to put people at ease as they were learning, right? Mm -hmm. You're actually talking directly to the hippocampus versus this fight or flight mode. So yeah, I, in that way that mushrooms help me feel more comfortable in my own body, uh, obviously this is all speculative, but um, access to that hippocampus, access mm -hmm. to neurogenesis, and then also mm -hmm. access to movement patterns that are stimulating different parts of the brain. Man, yep. I don't know. That's a learning combo. Right, right. And it seems like that would be a really great clinical trial because we right. do know that psilocybin along with MDMA, they decrease the amygdala. They decrease fear conditioning. Oh, really? They, okay, cool. Yes, yeah. yes. So they decrease that and they increase neurogenesis, new neurons in the hippocampus. Boom! See, I knew it, but I didn't know it. See, that's that, that's, <laughs> that, that's that no duh research. You know what I'm saying? That's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's awesome. So it's interesting, that's really cool. and it's it's definitely uh, that would be a new frontier in research because there is no mm. research that combines how movement stimulates the brain, but stimulates the brain on psilocybin. Hmm. Hmm. There's a uh, an MMA fighter who is big into microdosing. I don't know his name, but mm -hmm. he trains with a microdosing schedule. Yeah, I've I've heard him speak about it a, a once or twice, and it was it was pretty it was pretty interesting, you know, because yeah, he's Dan like, Hardy. oh yeah, there you go, there you go. He's like anticipating yeah. the, the the I think he's like jujitsu and MMA and stuff. That's uh, yeah. And I, I think he, he's also talked about uh, ayahuasca and cannabis yeah. as well. Um, oh, I'm all about that. Uh, so have you tried ayahuasca? I haven't. I've never have. I'm definitely interested, open, and, you know, waiting for that opportunity for sure. Yeah, that's definitely been, uh, that's like one of the, the uh, I don't like resolutions for New Year's. Uh, mm -hmm because the dates are just strange for me. It's like, oh, this is a very arbitrary date. But anyway, my de facto resolution that I made before January 1st was to to stay more on my uh, my regularly scheduled uh, psilocybin um, microdosing and then also to experiment as much as possible to unlock uh, whatever is there that's trying to get out. Because like I said, there's like, and even even on my best days, I still feel like there's like an ocean going on in the head, and I only got yeah. like a little spigot for a mouth, you know. 
Yes. Thank you so much for all your knowledge and, and good vibes. And anything oh, else you, you want to say about psychedelics, your oh, experiences? Man. You know, I I learned a word the other day, which I really like, and it's called, I forgot it. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, autodidactic. And that word is, that word is so important. And and it's it's basically being self-taught. Yeah, and that's what I that's what I think it me, it means. Is that's what I got from it. So it's like, uh, you know, you get really interested in something and you dive deep. And oftentimes, autodidactic people are smarter or more knowledgeable in the field that they chose to research because it wasn't that they paid for the certificate, like the fitness certificate. It wasn't that they just had the experience of knowledge or whatever they found something that was so interesting that the passion kind of invigorated their mind and and allowed them to learn new things and my parting words is uh is this might sound corny but if you're thinking about doing you know some micro dosing if you're thinking about going down that rabbit hole of, of uh, psychedelics or psilocybin, be autodidactic on yourself. Find out what makes you tick. And I think, I assert that psilocybin is the easiest, safest, and probably at this point, one of the most well-researched. I mean, we had research going on back in the 60s that was telling us a lot of cool stuff. Probably one of the most well-researched ways to to get autodidactic on yourself, if that makes grammar sense. Yes. yes so, yeah. so that's what I gotta say. It's a cool word. It's a cool word to say. Autodidactic. Uh, you know, be passionate, not just because school tells you to learn something new because you want to do it. And if you're gonna learn something new, might as well be about you. Amen. That's right. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, thank you, Mark. Thank you. I all right, thank you so much, Doctor. Appreciate you. Talk to you soon. Be good. Be good. You too. Right. Bye bye. Take care.